does your body, your amazing human machine, deserve a second opinion when it comes to your health, your eating, your exercise, your medical challenges if you have any? Your well-being, your quality of life, do you want to live young and strong for long, my favourite thing? Uh, How do we make sure that that happens? And are there lots of opinions about how to make that happen? (laughs) If you were to go to Dr. Google and ask, please help me lose weight or please help me be healthy or what should I eat to be healthy or how should I exercise to be healthy, Dr. Google will give you millions of opinions. And they range from this extreme end to this extreme end. So how do we know uh, whose opinion's right? How do we work it out for ourselves? And regardless of what opinion we get or diagnosis we get or what we get told about our human body, should we find out if there's more to know? uh, Should we give a second opinion? There's a great idea. So I've got a couple of interesting examples. Uh, This is my beautiful puppy dog, Wrinkles. He's gone to puppy dog heaven now. Uh, But he became very unwell And K-Man took him to the vet, and the vet said to K-Man that day, uh, Wrinkles is very unwell, and we should really put him down today. Uh, K-Man said, well, I need to take him home for Rowie to say goodbye to him, because he's been a very special part of our life for a very long time. Uh, And he brought him home for me to say goodbye. Luckily, we got a second opinion, or we did get a second opinion. There was no luck about it. And we had wrinkles with us for another nine months. Uh, Quality of life, eating beautiful food, wandering around the fun farm, cuddling us every day, spending time with his brothers and sisters, his other puppy dogs. Uh, Nine extra months we had with him because we got a second opinion. Uh, The the special people in your life, and I always bring my teddy when I talk about uh, a little bit controversial topics uh, because... There are so many opinions and you have a right to your opinion and I have a right to my opinion and all the medical professionals and the public health advisors and the government and exercise professionals and endocrinologists and cardiologists and orthopedic surgeons, everybody's got an opinion about how you and I can have a healthy, fit, strong life, how to live young and strong for long. But regardless of which opinion... Uh, Is it possible, as we know, that regardless how thin you slice it, there's always two sides? And should we find out both sides? So for me, I'm very privileged that I got a second opinion about my puppy dog because I had so many extra months of absolute bliss and appreciation of having him him in my life. Uh, The next example that's really interesting for me was my father, who was diagnosed with Alzheimer's dementia. His brain was rotting away. And unfortunately, we didn't get a second opinion. It was a country hospital in New South Wales, Australia. Uh, The expert said, your father is going to die. His brain's rotting away. They put him in a hospital bed. Uh, He didn't die straight away, but he may as well have. His life became zero quality from that day forward. Uh, What I now know, uh, and I just didn't get a second opinion. I didn't ask any questions. And interestingly, at the time that my father was diagnosed, there were some top head doctors, uh, neuroscientists, uh, brain surgeons that were studying the human brain and uh, they discovered neurogenesis. Because one of the questions that I asked the doctors about my father 
was how come if I can regrow fingernails and hair and and skin and muscles uh, if they get busted or broken, how come we can't regrow brain cells? And they just said to me, you just can't. That was their opinion. But if I had gone for a bigger opinion, a better opinion, a different opinion, I would have found out that there was a lot of research going on about neuroscience or about the brain. And we now know that if you put uh, if you put the brain under pressure, if you exercise, if you laugh, if you lift, if you learn, if you puff, and particularly if you puff, you produce brain-derived neurotropic factor, which is fertilizer for your brain, and you can regrow brain cells. I think that's really exciting. Uh, and I learned from, from that experience that I was always going to get a second opinion. The next example of that is my mother. Uh, at 74 years of age, she was diagnosed with advanced osteoporosis. See, we get a lot of diagnosis, don't we? You are this. You have this disease. You, this terminal illness is going to kill you in this amount of time. Well, advanced osteoporosis for most people is a death sentence. Uh, for half the people that get diagnosed with advanced osteoporosis, they are dead within a year. And even if they're not, uh, can you imagine living a life? And this is what they said to my mother. Uh, you're currently using a walking stick. She was 74 years of age. Uh, we're going to order your walking frame and then you'll be in a wheelchair and that will be the quality of life for the rest of your life because you have advanced osteoporosis. Well, I'm very privileged that my husband is a health scientist uh, and a firm believer in the body's ability to overcome bone weakness and muscle weakness. So the first thing he did when my mother showed us her diagnosis for advanced osteoporosis was he took her walking stick off her. He got her to start balancing on each leg to uh, build up the straight individual strength of each leg. And then she was... Uh, not excited about, uh, but certainly got involved in the process of high intense activity. So we got her boxing, we got her uh, running on soft sand at the beach, we got her running up and down stairs, we got her lifting heavy weights. My mother became a very strong, powerful woman and her bones became very strong and powerful. At 74, she had uh, advanced osteoporosis and at 80 years of age, her next bone mineral density test, she had slight osteopenia, which most women have if they've dieted or have um, had any kind of uh, lack of nutrition throughout their life. I'm sharing that with you because if my mother had bought into that original diagnosis, uh, she would have been in, in a wheelchair very soon after 74 years of age. Everybody in my mother's family died under the age of 60 of some kind of heart challenge. And what happened with my mother once uh, she got the results from uh, getting a second opinion about her osteoporosis, she was then more open to a second opinion about her obesity, about her coronary heart disease, about her type 2 diabetes, about her asthma. And she was on a huge range of medications for all of those things. And interestingly, I've invested my entire life since my father in getting people off chemicals, pharmaceuticals, pills, powders and potions and to have a healthy, fit, strong body uh, that relies on fresh air and sunshine and healthy food and great hydration. And what's a really special thing that happened for my mother is she became that very strong, powerful woman uh, and everyone else in her family died under the age of 60 and she lived till 98 and died peacefully in her sleep. 
because she took on a second opinion. Do you deserve a second opinion with everything in your life? Um, the next example I'd like to share with you is very personal for me. Uh, I, at the age of 18, was uh, I had a serious injury. I was teaching a group exercise class and I got stuck in the squat position. So literally I was stuck like this and I couldn't move. I had an intense pain in my back. Uh, the ambulance came and uh, I was diagnosed with a perforated disc L4, L5. Uh, and my original diagnosis from the GP and then an orth a traditional orthopedic surgeon was, Rowie, you'll never be able to run again, you'll never be able to lift heavy things again, you're going to have a very restricted lifestyle because you have a serious back injury. Uh, I'm one of these people who... <laughs> I always ask questions, my father taught me always ask why and how, uh, and I'm very, very privileged that I... I took on the responsibility for my own body to get a second opinion and I ended up at a sports orthopaedic surgeon and not not just any orthopaedic surgeon, uh, a gentleman that was responsible for rugby league players at the top level. So one of the toughest sports in the world and his responsibility was, get, was to get people back on the field, to get elite athletes back on the field from injury. And interestingly, his diagnosis for me, my second opinion diagnosis, was Rowie, he said, I think you've been doing some silly sit-up exercises for a very long time. You've worn away your disc between L4 and 5. And yes, I had been doing sit-ups since the age of 10 and I was now 18. So for eight years, I'd been doing this to my spine and this to my spine. <laughs> And he shared with me that they were silly exercises. I should get back up into the upright position, strengthen my abdominals and my lower back muscles to hold me strongly in the upright position. And he said, you'll be able to live a normal life. And not only a normal life, but you'll be able to sprint and run and, and uh, do long distance events and you'll be able to lift heavy things. And sure enough, here I am, an old lady, 120, I just look good for my age. And uh, I'm the fittest and strongest I've ever been. I lift heavy things every week and I sprint every day, literally sprint every day because I bothered to get a second opinion. Uh, when it comes to your advice about food, food and nutrition, and advice about exercise. You, you will get a lot of opinions if you ask, and you may not even have to ask. Uh, there's a lot of people that just give you their opinion even if you don't ask. I'm bombarded daily with people who share with me, Rowie, this is how you should eat, and this is how you should exercise. Even though I'm an exercise professional and have been for 40 years, People still contact me every single day with a new exercise or a new eating plan. Rowie, this is my opinion, this is how you should eat. This is how you should exercise. So let's look at eating from an opinion point of view uh, and even from a scientific point of view. Uh, everything from eat once a day or less often through to eat five times a day. Uh, so there are people who believe in intermittent fasting. You might have heard that as a dietary uh, philosophy. And depending on which plan you buy into, that might be that you eat once a day. It might be that you eat for four hours out of every 24 hours. I have some people at the moment who've shared with me they're eating one day and not eating the next day. I've got one gentleman who shared with me just recently that he's eating seven days and missing the next seven days. So he fasts for seven days and then eats for the next seven days, which is a really big difference to eat five times a day or eat uh, five, small, five small meals five times a day. So 
if there's this opinion and this, there's this opinion and they're opposing opinions, would it be a good idea perhaps to get a third opinion? And could your opinion be the most important? Uh, the people that tell you what to eat, do they, do they know what you like to eat, what you don't like to eat, what times of the day you like to eat, what your lifestyle is when it comes to eating food? So for example, you might uh, somebody might tell you to eat once a day and you're constantly starving. Somebody might tell you to eat five times a day and you just feel full all the time because you just got to keep putting food into your body. The question is what's going to be best for you? What do you want to eat and when do you want to eat it? So I always use the example of you have to be plant-based, only eat food that comes out of the ground, vegan, vegetarian, or you have to be a carnivore. And when I say have to, this comes from now credentialed scientists who say with piles of research, if you want to be healthy, if you want to have a healthy heart, if you want to have longevity, you've got to be a, a vegan vegetarian. Hello, Broody, that's my little puppy dog going off for a tinkle who's 20 years of age to talk about longevity. Uh, the reverse of plant-based vegan diet is only eat meat, carnivore. And those uh, uh, pro professors of cardiology, endocrinology, dietetics will give you big piles of information about why you should be a carnivore. So what do you do? You've got a really big opposing opinions. One opinion is extreme vegetables and fruit. One is extreme just eat meat. What about your third opinion? What about the people that tell you what to eat? Do they ask you what your religious beliefs are? What your moral beliefs are? Is it possible that there are people that don't eat meat because they don't want to eat animals? They love animals. Are there people who don't want to eat meat because it's against their religious persuasion? Uh, a cardiologist might say to you, you have to be a, a, a carnivore because it's good for your heart. But what if you just, you just don't like the taste of meat? What are you going to do then? Be unhealthy? Uh, would it be a really good idea, and this is just a random thought, <laughs> what if we as exercise professionals, as parents, as teachers, as coaches, as people who care about our kids and our kids' futures, what if we were to learn our anatomy and physiology for ourselves? What if that would give us a much better understanding of what kind of fuel we should put into our body and when we should put it in and what would be best for us uh, rather than relying on somebody else's opinion? When it comes to exercise, that's, again, such an enormous uh, divide between information and opinions. So it's how often you should exercise. Uh, what exercises you should do and what exercises you shouldn't do, how many times a, a day or a week you should do those exercises, and reps and sets and, and all the different information that comes with how much exercise I should do and what's the best exercise. But how about ask, what do you like, what don't you like, what has worked for you in the past, what hasn't worked for you in the past, and go back to that beautiful thing called anatomy and physiology. Anatomy in particular, because it's a set science, uh, it even, it, uh, the, the whole uh, language of anatomy is in Latin, which is a dead language, meaning it doesn't change. We, there's no more progression of the language of Latin. So a pectoralis major or a rectus femoris or, or your calf muscles or your deltoids, those, all of those words haven't changed. 
So because it's a set science, if you understand the alphabet of how the human body works, which is anatomy, and then comes the body system. So how does the central nervous system and the endocrine system fire up the skeletal and muscular system to move? Uh, how does the cardiovascular and respiratory system get us really fit? Uh, how does the digestive system fit into all of that? So what is the best fuel to fire us up to be able to exercise at 100% effort? And how do they all work together to make sure that we're healthy, fit, strong human beings? And the beautiful thing about anatomy is you don't need to get a second opinion on anatomy because there's no argument about it. It's not like we're going to grow a new heart and we're going to have two hearts or we're going to have four biceps or we're going to have uh, 17 quadriceps. Uh, it's a set science. So the anatomists don't argue. Uh, it's just a matter of learning it because it's the alphabet of the human body. So if you learn your anatomy and then you learn how the human body works, which is physiology. So again, there's a lot of argument and a lot of opinion about how to eat, how to eat and how to exercise. But if you understand something as simple as this, as an exercise professional, you'll know that there are three energy systems. There's the first uh, fire up 100% effort 10 seconds phosphate system. There's the lactate system, which is the 10 seconds to two minutes. And then there's the aerobic system, which is everything past two minutes, where we can go forever where we're using carbohydrate or a combination of carbohydrate and fat and a tiny bit of protein. The initial 10 second phase, which is that fire of the uh, endocrine hormonal system, uh, we're using phosphate stored inside the muscle, and it's that our 100% effort system. Then when we've got our uh, lactate system, which has that waste product of lactic acid and predominant fuel source, fuel source of carbohydrate, when you understand the physiology of all of that, could it be easier to understand what kind of foods you need to eat? And here's an even better question. If somebody tells you what to eat in their opinion, what if you don't like it? I always ask this question, why would you waste calories on food that you don't like? Could it be a really good idea to decide for yourself? Yes, by all means, get all the opinions. And this is where it gets a little bit embarrassing when it comes to uh, the exercise profession. One of the reasons why it's not considered a profession, one of the reasons why I don't call myself a personal trainer, uh, and I'm hoping that you are, you as an exercise professional uh, want to learn your anatomy and physiology and want to have the knowledge that you can explain all of that to your clients and to yourself really effectively so that if there is a requirement for an opinion, that it's based on more than just somebody else's opinion. Because the challenge we've got, of course, and why it's so embarrassing, is if you go to a gym or a personal training studio or you ask anybody who's involved in the prescription of, of exercise and food or both, uh, if you ask 10 people's opinions, is it possible that you'll get 10 different opinions, 10 opposing and contradicting opinions? Uh, how do you know then what to do? You as a, as a human being who wants to be healthy, fit and strong, and you've got 10 different opinions, how do you know what to do? How about this? Wouldn't it be great to know your anatomy and physiology so you could work it out for yourself? Now, the, the really important part of that now is if anything ever happens to the human body. So if the goal is to be healthy, fit, strong, and stay young and strong for long, there's some fundamentals to that. But what if you get injured? 
What if you get sick? What if you get a disease? What happens if something happens to your headspace? And one of the biggest challenges in the world right now when it comes to disease, yes, coronary heart disease, type 2 diabetes, osteoporosis, depression, cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's, dementia, obesity, but mental health challenges have become a really big one. So if you ever have to go to see an expert, a medical professional, somebody who who's going to give you a diagnosis for any of those challenges, would it be a really good idea to be able to go to those people with a good understanding of how your human body works so that you can ask better questions, you can ask intelligent questions, you can ask wise questions so that you don't get led down some opinionated path. And the reason I ask that so passionately is I'm sure you've uh, experienced this where somebody's been diagnosed with some kind of medical challenge, whether it's depression, anxiety, ADHD, uh, dyslexia, uh, coronary heart disease, type 2 diabetes, terminal cancer, any of those reasons why we would get diagnosed from a medical professional. And whatever the person was diagnosed with, uh, they overcame the challenge with or without the medical professional's help, or they got a second opinion, which was completely opposing to the first opinion. And the classic example of that, of course, is people who, uh, and I have lots of people in my life where this has been the case, where they've been diagnosed with a terminal illness, you're going to die. And often that comes with a time frame. You're gonna die in six weeks or six months. And six years later, or even 16 years later, that person is not only still alive, but they're alive and passionate and loving life because they went and got a second opinion. So one of the things that, as an exercise professional, when people come to me and say, Rowie, I've been diagnosed with anything from a mental health challenge through to a terminal illness, what should I do? And my first response is always this, have you got a second opinion? Have you got a third opinion? Have you got a fifth opinion? Have you got a 55th opinion if you need it? Because is it possible that there's going to be opposing medical opinions? And again, I'll use the example. I have uh, medical professionals in my life, uh, but the ones that are caught in the middle are the nurses. And every nurse that I've asked this question has shared exactly the same thing with me. There'll be one doctor that says, take this person off that medication, it's going to kill them. And the other doctor says, keep that person on that medication, it's keeping them alive. And the nurse is caught in the middle. What do you do? As an exercise professional, I've had people come to me and said, this physiotherapist said this and this physiotherapist said that, what should I do? And the beautiful thing about the third opinion, if it's coming from a, a, a understanding, a fundamental understanding of how the human body works, what's the human body made of and what are the, the physiological responses to everything that we do, is it possible that we could take each diagnosis through our own headspace? What would be logical? What would make sense? Rather than just believing what somebody tells you. So when I use the example of my back, I could, I, I could have listened to that first opinion and walked for the rest of my life instead of sprinting and lifting heavy and climbing mountains and hiking and doing all the awesome things that I do in my life. But I wanted to understand exactly what was going on. So I asked those two really great questions. Why would I do that and how does it work? And do you have the right to ask that? 
as a human being and you are diagnosed with something, do you have the right to ask why would I do that and how does it work? And particularly as adults, we get to choose, of course, and we can accept a diagnosis straight away if we want to. But what about our kids? If, if, if our children are told you've got this, for example, and I'll use a very controversial topic, something like dyslexia or ADHD or ADD, and there's a lot of that diagnosis going on now. Uh, I've had a lot of experiences with parents who their child was diagnosed with any of those head challenges. And I'm not saying that they don't exist, but is it possible that there are some young adults, as I call them, rather than children, who are genius geniuses, and they have a brain that just works at 100 miles an hour faster than anybody else. And it can be argued, disputed, and there's an interesting conversation that the geniuses of the world, the multi-billionaires of the world, they think outside the box. In fact, they've created a completely new box and they just think differently. But if they'd gone to a, some kind of head doctor, they might have been diagnosed with some kind of disease rather than a genius. And I just think that our kids deserve a second opinion. How about you? The next one that's really interesting when it comes to medical diagnosis is uh, the biggest killers in the world, coronary heart disease, type 2 diabetes, cancer, uh, cardiovascular disease, they kill, yes, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people every year in every country. They're the biggest killers in the world. But <laughs> did you know that those particular diseases, that there's a diagnosis and there's a medication? Uh, but the top medical professionals in the world who are really studying prevention rather than cure or control will share that exercise is medicine and medicine is exercise. And if you get healthy, fit and strong, most of those killer diseases, particularly coronary heart disease, cardiovascular disease, most cancers, obviously obesity, and a lot of the uh, health, mental health challenges, exercise is the best medicine, not a pharmaceutical intervention. And wouldn't it be nice to get a, a different opinion than you have to take this pharmaceutical for the rest of your life? What if you didn't have to take that pharmaceutical? What if you could get healthy, fit and strong and not have to take any pharmaceuticals? And that's the example I use with my mother. Uh, for example, with osteoporosis, she was put onto Fosamax, which is a supposedly a, a, a pharmaceutical that slows down the process of, of, of osteoporosis, bone thinning disease. When her tests came back that she'd built her bones back, the orthopedic surgeon hinted that the Fosamax was the reason that her bone mineral density had gone from advanced osteoporosis to just slight osteopenia, like literally her bones had built back. And my mother, at, I think at 80, you have the right to get a bit aggressive with your doctor. And she just said, no, you told me that Fosamax would just slow down the process. My son-in-law came in and he told me that if I do boxing and, and get really strong and lift heavy, that my bones will build back. And look, they have. Wouldn't it be nice to not have to take a pharmaceutical if you didn't have to? And interestingly, or sadly, with the number of killer diseases in the world, Regardless of which medical website you look at from which country, have a look at what one of the biggest killers in the world is. And it's not argued that medical misdiagnosis 
kills millions of people every year. Whether it's diagnosed with a, a disease that you didn't have, or they missed the disease that you did have, or they gave you a medication that was the wrong medication for the disease that you had, and you ended up dead. Uh, it is one of the highest ranking reasons of death in the world today, medical misdiagnosis or human error. And to the, how do I put it? I've made lots of mistakes in my life. I'm sure you have too. Nobody's perfect. There's human error involved in everything. Wouldn't it be nice <laughs> instead of taking an taking advice from one person about one medication and hoping that it was going to work, wouldn't it be a really good idea to go, well, what else is there that I could do? Are there other options that I have? The other challenge, of course, with given a pharmaceutical, any form of ph pharmaceutical pill, whether it's a cough medicine or a painkiller or an antibiotic or a cancer medication, any, all of them across the board, any medication that, that is suggested to you, if you ask for the please give me the risk list or, or a medical professional should give you the risk list, yeah? Uh, and I'll just use this as an example. If you've ever been to America and if you've ever watched television in America, every ad break there is an ad for some kind of pharmaceutical intervention whether it's for eczema for your skin or coronary heart disease or type 2 diabetes or headaches or depression or obesity or bone mineral density, there's, there is an, an ad break, uh, sorry, an ad in every ad break for some kind of pharmaceutical intervention. Interestingly, the ads have to go, and most of them go for a minute because the start of the ad is, this is this great medication and it's going to do this for you or it's going to kill this or make that better or you'll feel better because you take this medication. But the rest of the ad is, but these are the side effects. These are the risks of taking this particular pharmaceutical intervention. And I'll use an example because depression medication is highly advertised uh, in the States in particular. If not every ad break, every second ad break, there's an ad for some kind of antidepressant medication, of course, because it's one of the biggest killers in the world right now. But interestingly, they list one after the other, after the other, after the other, of the, of the risk factors of taking an antidepressant. And the one they put right at the end, and I think they hope you don't hear it, is one of the side effects of taking an antidepressant is suicidal tendencies. So you're taking a pharmaceutical to feel better, but one of the side effects of that is that you might want to not be here anymore. See, does that deserve a second opinion? What if you found a medical professional, and there are some, isn't this exciting, that will recommend that to pump serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, endorphins into your brain, which is what uh, those antidepressant medications are trying to do synthetically, when you exercise, you get all of those in exactly the right dose. And even better, brain-derived neurotropic factor, which is fertilizer for your brain, not only helps with neurogenesis, growing new brain cells, neuroplasticity, making your brain stronger and making all the connections to all the different parts of your brain work better, but you produce serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, endorphins, all of those happy drugs, you produce them at a higher rate, at a more intense level and a more effective level when you exercise. Wouldn't it be nice 
to find a doctor that recommended that exercise could be medicine. Wouldn't it be nice to get a second opinion? And I say that passionately, of course, because I'm an exercise professional. But I'll share again, uh, every single pharmaceutical drug on the planet, and there's magical pharmaceuticals, I get that. There are some of the the drugs that have been produced to, to save lives have been absolutely phenomenal. But what if they didn't exist? Could we get our body healthy and fit and strong enough to not need a pharmaceutical? And if we could get our body healthy, fit and strong enough, that uh, we didn't need the side effects of the pharmaceutical. And that's probably the biggest one. Uh, One of the the gorgeous things for my mother is that we took her off all of her medication. I think she ended up with just a a tiny, a half a dose of her beta blockers for her heart because she had heart attack, serious heart attacks um, in in her genetics, in her family history. But she was on a, She was on so many pills. She was rattling, and we just we just got rid of all of them because she got healthy, fit, and strong. Now, again, we don't. We're all adults, and we get to choose. But do we deserve as humans to get a second opinion? Do we deserve to think for our? Or should we think for ourselves? Is it our responsibility to get all of the information, all of the research, ask all of the questions about every medication that we're given? And then work it out for ourselves. What do I actually want to do? And there's a big, when it comes to medication, it's interesting because we have to weigh up the benefits and the risks. So there's the, the benefit might be that I could feel this, but the risk could be that's going to happen. And we, get, we have to weigh up the risk. But should we know both sides of the story? And if our medical professional hasn't given us both sides of the story, should we get both sides? Uh, the interesting one, of course, is uh, there's the person that you trust, your, uh, your personal GP, it might be a naturopath, it could be a chiropractor, uh, it could be your specialist, the person that you trust with your human body. Uh, there are opposing opinions coming from everywhere. Now, those opposing opinions could come from the government, they could come from um, public health advice, they could come from just opinion on social media. There's a lot of argument about medications, and particularly about depression medication, cancer medication, uh, virus medication. There's lots of argument about that. Uh, But wouldn't it be nice to get both sides of the story? What are the risk factors to this, and what are the benefits, and let's work it out for ourselves? And understanding that there's a lot of people that are really nervous about medication and doctors and medical professionals because one of the biggest killers in the world is medical misdiagnosis. Uh, Mistakes that are made because of medications or diagnosis or people given the wrong medication or getting the wrong diagnosis. Uh, I want to live for a really long time, young and strong for long, and have a life that I love every single day. I don't want to focus on how many people are dying every day. I want to focus on how to live every day. So if somebody ever diagnoses me, God forbid, and if this has happened to you or somebody in your family, and I'll just share again, this happens every day to millions of people around the world. You have this. What if it's not that? What if it is something simple or something that can be uh, sorted by being healthy, fit and strong? And what if we could get healthy, fit and strong and get it sorted? That's just a really, for me, a really exciting what if. So we diagnose ourselves. (laughs) And there's a lot of people now, and I'll give an example of that. 
where we go to Dr. Google and we say, I feel this, I've got this happening inside my body, and Dr. Google comes back and says, you should take this. And I'll give you an example. I uh, was asked to speak to a group of uh, GPs. There was 30 GPs in this very, uh, we had a great conference seminar workshop uh, talking about how to prevent and, and uh, reduce the risk of all the major killer diseases rather than trying to treat them with pharmaceuticals. It was a really awesome conversation, as you can imagine. But one of the challenges that the GP shared with me was that people come into their office with uh, a Dr. Google prescription. They say, Google said that I should use this medication. and For example, I should use this particular antidepressant medication. And the GPs have shared with me that people will ask for a particular drug and if that GP doesn't give it to them, they just go to another GP that will. Uh, I have no control over that. I just would love our kids not to grow up in a world like that. How about you? I'd love our kids to grow up in a world where being healthy, fit and strong is normal. And as I always share, it's actually not normal anymore. Uh, do we need to take responsibility for that as adults, parents, teachers, coaches, leaders, medical professionals? Because we now have more than 50% of the population in the Western world who are overweight or obese, we have uh, any at any one time, people have coronary heart disease and or type 2 diabetes and or cardiovascular disease and or they're obese and or they're depressed, uh, which means we have a, a large proportion of a lot of populations, somewhere between 30 to 50% of a lot of populations that have one, two, three, four, five of those horrible killer diseases. So it's become normal. Once it's past 50%, it's normal. Half the population is overweight, so that becomes normal. Half the population has uh, precursors to type 2 diabetes or fully, fully blown type 2 diabetes. Uh, so it becomes normal. I don't want that to be normal for our kids. How about you? The other really interesting one about diagnosis is uh, a lot of people are told, diagnosed as being... Uh, not good enough, not smart enough, too tall, too short, too fat, too skinny, too inexperienced. And I always use this example. I had a young man that came to the, the Max International College and he was told by his careers officer that he would never make anything of himself. He was stupid, dumb, lazy, hopeless, go and get a, you know, some low-paying job and stay there for the rest of your life because that's all you're ever going to make of yourself. Oh, how dare we diagnose people as stupid? Particularly when the geniuses of the world, uh, uh, it's been suggested that those folks, as I shared, are dyslexic or they have ADHD because they, they're so excited about everything, they want to get involved in everything. I don't think that, uh, and the neuroscientists have shared this with me, we don't know enough about the human brain and the connection with the body to really understand what's going on with the brain. You can't do a brain biopsy. So it's suggested that most of those diagnoses are an educated guess. Uh, the, the, the medications that people are given for a lot of those head diseases or head um, unhealthiness, how's that for an expression? Uh, maybe you don't have enough serotonin, maybe you don't have enough dopamine, maybe we need to switch those levels around so we try and synthesise those with the drug. Wouldn't it be nice if we could get it from exercise? So this young man was diagnosed as stupid. He came to our college. He graduated with a standalone diploma in business and a standalone diploma as an exercise professional. 
And I would say, yes, a genius. He didn't. He was one of those people, as I shared before, he didn't think outside the box. He was capable of creating a new box. And when I printed his certificates for his business diploma and for his qualification as an exercise professional, I printed two copies, one for him and one for his teacher, hoping that that teacher never again diagnoses anybody as stupid or lazy or you can't do it. There's so many people that have been told you can't and they do. That's not possible and they make it possible. I don't want to be the person that ever diagnoses somebody as uh, anything. <laughs> uh, another beautiful example of that, uh, I, I had a very special conversation with a, a professor of neuroscience who was speaking at a medical conference and he was doing the keynote uh, speak, he was the keynote speaker. And I met him by accident uh, going through customs in Melbourne, Australia. And uh, I asked him what he was going to talk about at the conference. And he shared with me that the information he was going to share with the top neuroscientists, brain surgeons, psychologists and psychiatrists in the world uh, was that we have to stop making diagnosis. We have to stop telling people that they'll never walk again. He said there's a lot of examples of people who we've told you're never going to walk again and they walk out of the hospital or they walk back into the hospital six months later to prove it's wrong. He said, we don't understand enough about the connection between the brain and the body to make those kind of diagnoses. There are too many people who we tell them they're going to die of a terminal illness, and they don't. And I'll ask that question again. Whether or not I'm going to die in a certain period of time, and I have no control over that, uh, but the fact that I can be healthy, fit, and strong, but... We only have a certain amount of time. We're all going to die. Wouldn't it be nice, though, if somebody said you're going to die, that we either got a second opinion and proved that diagnosis wrong, or whatever amount of time we have left, wouldn't it be nice to live with passion and enthusiasm and excitement for life and energy every day, and could that come from being healthy, fit, and strong? So if I go back to how do I choose what to eat and how do I choose how to exercise, regardless of all the opinions out there, and there's millions of them, what about we get the third opinion? Get this side of the story, eat once every 20 hours. Get this side of the story, eat five times every day and work out what's going to be best for you. Exercise three times a week or exercise three or four times a day. Work out what's going to be best for you. There are too many people, and how do I ask this question? Uh, we all have the right to our opinion. But is it possible that there are a lot of people with an opinion that, number one, don't even understand anatomy and physiology? They've just become the expert in somebody else's opinion, or they're regurgitating somebody else's opinion, or it worked for them, but does that mean it's going to work for you? So how about get both sides of the story get more than one opinion, but how about your third opinion? And if you want to be healthy, fit and strong for the rest of your life and ultimately avoid medication, avoid pharmaceuticals, have avoid injury, avoid surgery, and all of those, all the top medical professionals in the world that are really excited about prevention will all say, and I'll share it again as I do regularly because it excites the hell out of me, exercise is medicine and medicine is exercise. Even the best pharmaceuticals in the world have a side effect. The only side effects to exercise is that you'll get fitter and stronger and you'll have better posture and great hair, great skin, great nails, strong teeth, 
You'll have better self-esteem, self-confidence. Your body will be a high-performing machine because you have a fast metabolism. Everything works better when you're fit and strong. So if there's going to be an opinion that you get, could it have something to do with, Rowie, you should get fit and you should get strong. How you do that, by all means, let's get all of the opinions on how to get fit and strong. But is it possible that if we know our anatomy and physiology and if we're constantly learning our anatomy and physiology, that we will have a better understanding of how to get fit and strong for ourselves and or we'll be able to ask better questions if we do go to an exercise professional, if we do go to a medical professional, if we do go to somebody that wants to give us advice about our health and well-being, do we deserve a second opinion? What a great question.